Welcome to the Context Podcast, sponsored by Geist Interactive. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. Josh Ormond sits again with me to talk what to learn in FileMaker. Given our busy lives and demands that take up our time, I wonder, should I go back and learn what's been in the platform for years, or should I focus on all the concepts and techniques that are being added to the platform each year? I pose topics like XML and ODBC to Josh, and we state our thoughts on whether we should give some time and attention to learning that skill. We also talk about the recent FileMaker Roadmap of 2019. We walk through some of the details of what was discussed in that webinar and give our thoughts about what those mean. So Josh, how you doing? I'm doing good, Jeremy. How are you? Doing good. So in a previous episode, Todd and I talked about the concepts of FileMaker. Did you listen to that amazing episode? I did, yes. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, I've, I see FileMaker in those conceptual buckets, and I'm um, I'm convinced that people would do their do well to learn conceptually um, rather than just trying to cram every single function into their head or every single setting. Right. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious, do you, what do you think about that statement? Yeah. I mean, I think the best way that, I mean, for me, when I learned, it had a lot to do with what I was using, the stuff that I didn't use or didn't use to solve a problem. I just didn't remember. I mean, there's, sure. there's just so much that's there. Yep. So the more I use stuff, the obviously the easier easier it was to remember, and I retained it longer. Yep. Yeah. That's that's definitely a good point. But you know, there's there's those con- concepts are really good, but there's a lot of little things in FileMaker that um, I think just need to be brought up. And and this episode would go on for hours if I tried to list everything, and I actually don't know everything. Don't know what every what is all in there. I want to run through some um, some little specific technologies or parts of FileMaker, and I just wanted your opinion on whether or not me as a developer or other people should, you know, give that some attention. You know, there's so much in the platform. The platform is huge, right? And uh, you have to kind of pick what things are going to give you the most... Um, bang for your buck for your time and uh, hopefully make your development better. So I just have some like specific little ones that I'd like to run past you. Okay. See what you think. All right. So we'll start with, um, we'll start with JSON. What do you think about JSON? Should people learn how to construct it using the functions, uh, extract from it, all that stuff? What do you think? I I mean, I would say overall, yes. The, even if it's something that you're not going to integrate with some API and you're getting data back from that that you need to parse, um, there's still a lot of benefits just for passing around multiple script parameters. And I'll be honest, I was one of the first to say, I'll never switch to using JSON for <laughs> multiple script parameters. Uh, because what I was using was easy. It was already built into what I was doing. You know, I had some custom functions that I was using that handled everything. So, like, it was, it was just, just no reason for me to change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was open to it, especially with, like, new projects that and new files that didn't already have my custom functions in it. It was really easy just to throw in a JSON set element and then on the other end, just a JSON get element. It was just really easy. And then the more I started using that, the more I liked it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could even use custom functions for those things um, to make some of it easier. Uh, the one big thing that made it me really like it was just like a, like a text expander. Um, they handled a lot of the typing for me. Mm-hmm. Once I started doing that, I was sold. I mean, I, every new file that I use, I just start using uh, JSON instead of my old uh, dictionary functions. Okay. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. We, I thought I'd start off with an easy one, but you bring up a good point. The fact that we already had methods out there to pass parameters. So to transition to something quote new and in FileMaker seemed kind of tough. And and I, I guess I would, you know, I would admit that that 
there was reason to for people to hold off, right? If if they're already using custom functions, but um, I guess <laughs> also from my perspective, I kind of had no choice <laughs> here at Geist Interactive. We we've used them since uh, FileMaker 16 came out before I got here, and uh, you know it's it's a done deal. That's how we pass parameters. And honestly, I think uh, I've said this in a previous episode, but I actually am doing a lot of API returns, uh, parsing, and that's all JSON. So I'm getting used to it. So I guess we're both in agreement. It's worth exploring that, possibly even reading the JSON specs. Um, I'll put a link to those in my notes. I think that's worth knowing, um, but also just understanding how FileMaker works with them. So... Yeah, and, and to be honest, JSON is a lot easier to read than some of the other stuff. Like even looking at XML, XML is not too bad, but uh, JSON just everything's just laid out in a list and it's formatted nicely. And you throw the the JSON format element around it, and it's just it's easy to read, easy to look at, and pick out data. Yep. So it's nice. Yep. Good. All right. Well, um, you bring up the next one that I wanted to talk about is XML. Now, this is one that I just using XML in, in, in FileMaker, I don't know a whole lot about. I don't know how to use the XF, XF uh, what is it, the result, you know, exporting this XML. Yeah. So, and I get conflicting opinions on this, so I'm interested in yours. Should I invest my time in learning how to work with XML? I would say if you're just starting to learn FileMaker, the answer would be probably no. Okay. Um, now I say that with Beverly Vos, um, FileMaker and XML, the guide to XML book sitting right next to me. So, <laughs> um, you know, there is some benefit to knowing it, like as you get into more advanced stuff and especially like if you're going to be like copying elements off of a layout and you want to modify them or script steps, you copy them out and you want to be able to modify the XML and paste them back in. Yes, that can help you. But like, that's a little bit more advanced than, than most people start with. Um, so there's that. Okay. And I honestly, I can't think of, I can only think of, so for me, the things that I want to learn are those things that I'll use a lot in custom apps, right? And as far as I can see, most, if not all APIs return JSON. I know that some of them return XML as well, I think. Um, but they all return JSON or most of them. And you can't actually pass parameters with XML, I don't think. Yeah, there, well, are, you, no, there are no native functions to do it. There are no native functions. The only so the only thing I can I can see in in working with XML is the one time when I want would want to export to an Excel file and have, you know, nicely formatted columns, maybe, you know, put a color in one of the columns and some nice headers and, and such like that. So because I don't do a whole lot of that at the moment, I don't see a value in, in learning XML. Is that a closed-minded view to have? No, I mean, it's one of those things where it, even if you learn it now, if you're not using it, you know, in three months, six months, you're going to have to go back and learn a bunch of stuff again anyway. Yeah. The structure of XML is not that hard to learn. Okay. Um, the tricky part is understanding the XSLT part of it where you do those transformations either to XML or from XML. Yeah, Those can be challenging. The reason I'm looking at Beverly's book right now is for that very reason. There are some things that I get in XML that I want to be able to import easily. And the, the other way around, create some nicer spreadsheets that we use in our, our business. Um, okay. our, the industry that we're in is a little bit old school. Okay. Uh, a lot of the, I, I'll just tell you that we had one guy we were talking to recently, uh, his, his line to us was FTP is best. Um, so that kind of puts you in that frame. I may have even said that in the last episode. Um, you know, they just have a lot of old technology. We do get a lot of things in XML sometimes. Okay. Um, but we're starting to see a lot more where they offer both XML and JSON. So, you know, as we can trans uh, move over to JSON, it makes it just a lot easier in FileMaker to work with. Yeah. I I don't know that the cognitive load is, is harder than learning JSON. So if I encourage people to 
to learn JSON and for that matter, JavaScript, I would expect that they could encourage me to uh, learn XML, but it's just, it's just what, if I'm using it. So everything is going to be, the answer to everything is going to be, it depends, right? But, um, and and honestly, (laughs) if you really need to do something in XML and you're kind of stuck and you need to get it done, I would say personally, (laughs) instead of learning it and trying to mess with that, I just hire Beverly to do it for you. Oh, okay. (laughs) That is a good point. And I've heard that said before, you know, rather than investing my time in learning it, I could find someone that that can do it and and get it done. And that's a good uh, escape hatch. That's a good um, possibility as well. Yeah. And the nice thing with somebody like Beverly, I mean, she knows she's been around a while and she knows those older technologies, but she's also really good with all the modern stuff. So, I mean, she can do a lot for you um, if you really don't want to bang your head on the XML wall. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's a that's an interesting point too. We keep diverging, but there are people out there who have been around for twenty plus years who know all of that stuff, the old stuff, but are also continuing to learn the new stuff. And that, to me, that is that is an amazing attitude in the in the in our profession. Um, because they realize, yeah, FileMaker keeps changing, it keeps adding, it keeps being becoming better. So I need to continue to learn that stuff, right? For me and for you too, coming in at FileMaker 9, you know, I always wondered, should I go back and learn those things that I skipped over when I was a when I was new to FileMaker and you know, like XML and some of the other stuff. So um I guess if I have time on a Friday night, I may I may pick it up. Um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this XML thing I've been looking at is kind of a, just a fun side thing. Okay. Um, I'm will use it for some things, but again, like the, there's a very real possibility that in six months I won't remember. <laughs> today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Otto automatic server-to-server file migration. In the past, the process of deploying FileMaker files has been tough and error-prone for developers. The many-step and time-consuming process made us wary of using a development and production server setup. Instead, we would just develop live on the client's system. Luckily, Otto is here for FileMaker developers to use. It takes all the hassle and humanness out of the equation. We can now set up our development process correctly. Auto is an automatic server-to-server file migration process. One click of a button inside the auto migrator file or a file of your own making, and auto will backup and close both the development and live files. It will then move the development file over to the production server as the new live file migrate the data from the old live file to the new one, then open up the new live file with all of your changes. And it does all of this very fast. And Auto does so much more than that. Auto uses the data migration tool and the FileMaker developer API. The Auto Migrator file is fully made in FileMaker, so you can use these tools in Auto to completely customize your own setup. Check out the auto demo at geistinteractive.com. See how fast it will transfer a demo file from your development to production server. Auto, automatic server-to-server file migration. All right, um, how about uh, how about ODBC? Oh, well, so the only time that I've used ODBC, now, there's two ways you can use it in FileMaker. There's the import part of ODBC where you can bring stuff into FileMaker that way. Um, you may be able to export to, I have to be honest, I, I've never used it in the I don't know, 13 years I've been developing in FileMaker. I've, I've never used that part of, of FileMaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only time I've used ODBC was with the external SQL sources function yep. where you could connect FileMaker um, directly. And I use the word loosely directly to like MySQL or SQL Server. Um, that was great. It helped with a lot of things. It made it easy for me to be able to reach out to like our web server and make some quick adjustments. Um, but like if you're doing like large amounts of data transformations, and that means when I say large in this context, I mean like more than 10 records. There's 
there's some serious limitations hmm. and hoops you have to jump through to get it to work the way you want, um, including you know doing an actual manual refresh to oh, get yeah. your data. Like it doesn't it doesn't live update. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> I haven't used it much recently. You know, I would say the last time I actually used ODBC at all was probably seven years ago. Oh wow! I oh, wow. Uh, the only time I've ever well, I think I've used it once or twice in my former job, but I do distinctly remember using it, pr- uh, practicing it to to update an Excel file. Is that right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I was think- yeah, I was thinking uh, that I could do that. I was studying for the certification test, I think. And so I was walking through the uh, FileMaker training series, trying to follow those steps to set it up. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I've never, I've never used it, but again, that's, that's just, I guess that's our own, you know, it's, it's the use cases that, that we deal with in our, in our jobs. So um, how about uh, virtual lists? I've, I've asked p- different people here in my podcast. Um, I've asked people in, that have joined me what they thought about using virtual lists there, the context. Um, but do you think a developer is, is, um uh, benefited by learning how to work with this technique? I would say yes. I mean, there there are definitely some challenges with the concepts of understanding it. It's mm-hmm. not hard once you get it. Mm-hmm. It's, really, it's really pretty simple. Um, but it works in a way that's not natural to our brain when we're thinking about development. But the reality is for me, like I remember watching um, a DevCon session from like 2012. I think it was Bob Bowers did that <laughs> yep. reporting. That that video changed my life mm-hmm. <laughs> as a developer. I mean, it it made me think about FileMaker a whole different way. Wait, and honestly, go ahead. Was he was he using a virtual list in that? Yes, he did. That's okay. I don't think I caught that. I I watched it. <laughs> I haven't watched it in years, but yes, I recall that. Yeah, he, he actually, I think he does it like three different ways. Like he does like where you loop through every record and like pull it into a global variable. Yeah. Okay. He did it with jumping through like summaries. Mm-hmm. So instead of touching every record, you have like a summarized field and you just jump down. Like if the first group of data, there's 10 records, you would grab the data from the first record because it would be summarized. Mm-hmm. Then you jump down to the 11th record, grab the data from that one, jump down to the next group. And <clears throat> that was ridiculously fast because instead of touching, like if you had a, a subset of records of like 5,000 records, you don't have to touch 5,000 records. You might only have to touch a hundred. So gathering the data was, it was nearly instant. I was actually sitting in that session. I, I recall I was like three or four rows from the front um, and I, that's the session that I always say, and I've told him cause I used to work for him, but, uh, I've always say that it challenged me more than I could handle, but it was the best session that I was in. Um, because I've come back to it in recent and years after dev that DevCon and, and tried to understand the, uh, the session. So I, it's funny that you mentioned that one cause I, distinctly recall that from my very first DevCon. <laughs> yeah. And I would actually say that it had such a transformation effect on me as far as like reporting. Yeah. Yeah. I would actually have a little bit of a difficult time building a report without using it. That's the point of virtual lists. And I think, you know, as far as uh, return on investment on the things that we've talked about, even honestly, more than JSON to some extent, virtual lists give you the most flexibility when it comes to creating a report. Number one, uh, let me just think of some ways. Number one, you can get data from 10 different places in your system, in your in your system. That would be impossible in just a normal like list view without possibly yep. lots of slowness. Yep. You can do a lot of summarization and calculations. Heck, you could even create a fake subsummary, right, by every 10th row or every time you finish with a group of, of like types or something, you could, your script could summarize that right there. Right. Um, And it's global, right? It's my report is different than yours. We're not seeing the same thing. We're not having to do a huge individual fines to get our report on and potentially cause each other issues, you know, with, 
so so the global nature of it to me is is a pretty interesting yeah the fact that it's it's specific to that user and their session and it doesn't step on everybody else is okay. I, I mean there's I've, there's been times where i like i've seen somebody go to run a report and you know we've got 70 users going hey they're we got the beach ball yeah <laughs> and wheeling you know they say that but with virtual lists we almost never run into that okay yeah so virtual lists are 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 amazing and i think i've written a couple of blog posts on it other people have as well but it's it's definitely worth exploring and I, I, have you ever used a virtual list as a um in a popover or like a portal to kind of replicate related records but actually you're virtually you know listing them there yeah i've i've done yeah. that several times i've also used it specifically in a portal to make a like instead of using a value list where mm -hmm. I, maybe I need to show two different pieces of yeah. data or three different pieces of data, but I need more than just a field set. I need like some other actions to happen. Yeah. So I, I can make, especially if you're using a card window and you don't dim the display, you can actually make the card window appear right under a field. It looks just like a value list. Sure. Okay. User doesn't know the difference. They can scroll it, they click on it and it goes and does what you want it to do. Yeah. So it's pretty great. Okay. So virtual list is probably a, a, a very important thing for for people to learn. Um, how about um, I see this in the in the forums a lot. It's funny uh, that I do, but the, the the idea of a lookup and you don't it's not something that you learn and it takes a lot of time to learn. But do you ever use that? Um, so I'm a little afraid to answer the question. Because <laughs> there are some people that have some strong feelings about lookups. Okay, well, <laughs> as long as you answer it and not me, that's okay. <laughs> so I would say it's not a urgent thing to, to need to know how to use. I've mm -hmm. very, very rarely used an actual lookup. I've okay. almost always used an auto-enter calculation instead. Okay, It gives me a lot more control about what happens. The one thing that I would say, in my opinion that it, it's worth using a lookup for. And the use case for this is pretty limited. Um, there's the option where you can look up the, if there's not a matching value, you uh -huh. can grab the value before it or the value after or the record before or the record after. Um, that's pretty useful for certain things. Um, you know, especially like if you're talking about accounting and things are in a very specific order. Uh -huh. um, you can grab, you know, the next value or the previous value to give what you need. But again, the use case pretty limited, and I had I can't say that I've really needed to do that in the last ten years. I mean, it's, okay. it's been a long time since I've even had to use it. So I, I don't even think I've ever created a file that actually I ended up leaving the lookup in there. Okay, I um, it it occurs to me as you're you're bringing this up that. I definitely have opinions on what people should learn and what shouldn't people learn. And I know other people have opinions that of that. And sometimes our, the Venn diagram of our opinions, sometimes, you know, there's a, there is a Venn diagram, there's some overlap, but there's also some distinct, the, the things that I don't think are important are just as value as, <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say, except for, what am I trying to say here? I'm saying it, it has value in the right circumstance, <laughs> right situation. Yeah. And I guess I, you know, as much as I want to advocate for certain things, I guess I should not go and say, even though we're talking about it here, we're, we're putting no judgment on any of these things. We're just talking about return and investment and how much we've used it personally. But I guess I wouldn't want to disparage or dismiss anybody else's thoughts about what people shouldn't learn. I, maybe. I mean, there are some things that are, are part of FileMaker that are becoming part of FileMaker that you just, if you if you avoid using them, you're going to have a closed system that, you know, is, is stuck in FileMaker nine days, right? But so maybe there is some advocacy for different techniques. You know what I'm trying to say here? <laughs> I, I do. I, I get it. And okay. I think I think we can't answer the question anymore without putting ourselves at risk. I mean, the only way we can put ourselves more at risk is if you're about to ask me about repeating fields. Okay. Well, the next thing is repeating fields. <laughs> yeah, no Tell me about repeating fields. Should I, 
learn to use them in the ways that they can be used? Um, I would say if you're going to use repeating fields, they they can work very nicely for some UI elements in that. But I wouldn't say that it's important enough to learn right away. I mean, okay. at some point, I I don't know. I, I can't say I've ever used repeating fields for anything. Um, I know there are people that definitely have used them, and I've seen some nice uses of them. But as far as spending time learning, I, my guess is most people aren't even going to run into a use case where it will actually help them. So, mm-hmm. and, and one thing you shouldn't do, and I, I do feel pretty strongly about this one, is like don't use repeating fields to store data. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's just going to, when you try to go do reporting, it's going to hurt you. Like, it's going to hurt you bad. I would rather people focus on repeating variables or uh, named buckets as, as Wim DeCourt calls them and learn how to use those. Right. Um, that kind of switching topics there, but I, I like that concept. I love the idea of using a name bucket so that I can organize my data. What do you have? Do you use name buckets um, in variables? Yeah, I have. And in fact, going back to the virtual list conversation, you can get some additional speed and performance out of very large virtual list by breaking things up into repeating variables and separating that data out a little bit like that. Yeah. Really nice and really speed up some virtual list processing. It's, It's pretty nice. Yeah, I was working for a, a client who asked me to to create a profit loss chart, and I had to go through their chosen income line items and chosen expense line items and sum up the values of each one of those based on the category that the line item was in. And I thought about using JSON to store an object or as an object to store, but I realized I should just use a variable called, you know, income. And then the repeating part of it is the name of the category. So I can always access the category when I get to a new line item and I can add or subtract as necessary. So in some instances, it's a lot easier to say set variable, you know, the code, the the category name for the repetition plus the current value in there plus this line items total rather than trying to use a JSON object or trying to set a JSON object. Do you see what I'm saying there? Yeah. 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 So that's a good concept. Actually, that's, that's interesting. I should, uh, should uh, write about that. Um, It's, it's so much easier. Yeah. Like you said, when you're, when you're trying to add up a bunch of stuff or do a bunch of calculations way easier than JSON. I hope Todd never hears that, but you know, it's true. So. <laughs> well, we'll have to make sure we link to uh, Wim's thing about named buckets because yes. I'm sure there's a lot of questions about that one. Yes. Okay. Uh, how about um, SQL grammar, SQL syntax? In the context of the execute SQL function, right? Yeah, I would say yes. I mean, I, I think it, it has limits in FileMaker because um, like has been said before, the execute SQL runs on top of the Draco core engine that's in FileMaker. So it's important that you understand like you can't just go and write a bunch of SQL and have it be amazing and great and, you know, do all these joins and unions and expect it to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's meant for very simple selecting data. If you need to get a simple list from somewhere, like I use it a lot for like, when I'm trying to create um, a value list um, to show in a popover or a card window when I need somebody to like pick something. So I mm-hmm. use a lot of pickers because I don't want to recreate all those relationships to try to get to where I am in every context. So instead of doing that, like I know this is the data I'm looking for. So I just go grab that list or I just go grab the one piece of data. Uh, for instance, like if I'm having somebody pick a sales rep, um, when they click on the button, I, I know what the sales rep ID is. So I just do an execute SQL back to the people table to grab their name. Mm-hmm. Simple stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Very simple. It's not run as a calculation in the database schema, but it's run in a script so that so I can control when it's called. Um, that, and it's great for that. Yeah, it's it's good to learn, but it's <laughs> 
for me at least, when I learned it, when I finally got good at the syntax, I was so proud of myself. I used it all the dang time. Yeah. The syntax is really tough to get right. Probably five years into my using Execute SQL, did I actually, could I actually write a SQL statement the first time correctly? Yeah. Um, so maybe that's why people, we, we want to use it so much is because it's a big hill to climb to learn how to do it. But uh, Yeah, and I think too, like as you get, as we get more and more people coming into the FileMaker community, um, a lot of them have exposure to SQL already. So they see this function, execute SQL, and they're like, okay, yeah, let's, let's use that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can do some stuff with it, but like I said, it's got to be really simple. Um, and you've got to use it for what it's, what it does. Because the, the simple fact is this, regardless of what we think the function should do, there is what it does and there is what it doesn't. And when right. it's going really slow and it's not functioning fast and it's not performing, then the reality is we use something else. And we just we don't need to gripe and complain about it. We just need to find another way to do it. Okay. Very cool. Um, <laughs> uh, should people, uh, what do you think? Should people learn JavaScript? Um depends and if you're wrong i'll cut you off right there if they 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 buy widget studio they don't need to learn javascript (laughs) so uh but yeah i mean the interesting thing with javascript is that it's it's kind of everywhere right now um Mm -hmm. how much you learn i'm going to go back to saying what i said earlier it's about what you're using it for what are you what are you trying to do with it learn that you don't need yep. to learn everything about JavaScript. Just yep. use what you're doing, learn what you're going to use, use it, and you'll remember that part of it. And then like the more you learn, the more you add on to that knowledge, the easier learning more of it's going to be anyways. Yes. It can be really, really useful. And especially with like what they talked about in the roadmap webinar, You know, there's a lot of things coming, and we're going to be able to use JavaScript for a lot of stuff. So mm-hmm. there's definitely some benefit in being familiar with it. At least, yeah, at least have a glancing understanding of it. I advocate for JavaScript, but I don't know. I'm not an expert in JavaScript for sure. I know enough that it helps me build things in FileMaker because it's my opinion. FileMaker has a very, you know, it it probably uses maybe a tenth of the entire JavaScript language. We're not doing a whole lot. We're not building incredible websites that have to deal with security in the browser and have to, you know, fetch data all the time. We're, 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 we're creating pretty simple things. Um, so yeah, yeah I, would I, say, I would say for JavaScript, I think it's more important to learn how to integrate it into FileMaker than it is necessarily learning JavaScript as a sure. language. Yeah. And yeah, right. Because there's libraries that can handle the heavy lifting of doing all the drawing of the bars on the bar charts. We just have to know how to engage that library to access the functions in the library. So, uh, and anybody can do that. I don't think it's easy. I know you and I have had this conversation. I don't think it's just dismissively easy. I think it's, it takes some time to learn, but it is, my point has always been, it's, it's reachable by any FileMaker developer that wants to invest the time. Yeah, and I would say, honestly, um, I kind of kind of complained a, a lot that the training session that you did yep. uh, wasn't recorded and available from from Claris. Uh, but I mean, you went ahead and made videos that basically recreated a lot of what you you taught in that training class. So, like, I would encourage people to go take a look at the the videos you posted and kind of work through them because it, it's not really really hard. But once you're familiar with the concepts of how it works everything becomes a lot easier and it can be really useful. Um, all right. Well, enough of that. I'm sure people get tired of me talking about JavaScript in here, but um, let's move on. Um, so today I was setting up a server and I always struggle with the SSL stuff. Is is it is that just something I need to read and understand or do I just need to go through the three steps and be done with it, you know, to install this, this certificate and be done with it? So the, the tricky part that I've run into in the past, I, ha- I can't say that I've had any problem with it recently. I'm not an expert in it. Um, but I can also say that the last, you know, five years when I've been installing an SSL cert on a server, I haven't had any issues. But with that said, 
in the past, I have had issues. Like, there were sometimes, like I remember one time we were trying to set up a server and I spent days trying to figure out how to get a SSL cert to install on a server. And I think this was like FileMaker 15 days and I couldn't get it to work. And uh-huh. two, things, two things I found out. One, the wrong type of cert from the provider was, was purchased. So that didn't work. It didn't work with FileMaker. Um, and then the other part of it was, for some reason, that particular vendor required some additional data, and it was a Komodo. They required some additional data in the the CSR. The request itself needed to be in there when you got the certificate. The cert. I don't think that it happens anymore, but at that point, it did, and it was kind of one of those things where I was just ready to throw my hands up, and I, I was like, I can't understand this. We need to hire somebody else to do it. Um, and then one day, like I had it. I did it right twice in a row. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, that was like after like three years. <laughs> um, and then since then I have not a problem. Okay. So it's, you need to have a familiarity with it. And I swear, I ask you every time I have to install a server, I ping you and I say, okay, which one is the server key? Which one is the, you know, I, yeah. finally, I, I think I've done it enough that I figured it out, but it yeah, is yeah. worth it. The one thing that gets me is sometimes in the instructions with certain providers, you have to like combine a couple files together. That's right. Yeah. I, I never do that right the first time. So if that gets you, don't be surprised. I mean, it's a tricky one. I should build a website that allows you to practice installing <laughs> and leads you through it step by step. And you can just do it over and over and over until it's, yeah. it's like muscle memory. So and then next week they'll change it. And <laughs> start over um, how about, um, I thought of this late in the game, but how about monitoring tools um, like Zabbix? That's a that's new. That's new. Uh, Wim and Mislav did a presentation on it at DevCon. Is that another thing that I need to learn about? It, it depends on what your role with FileMaker is going to be. Um, I mean, the reality is, long term, if you're going to rely on the server and you're going to rely on the data. You want to make sure that the hardware you have is performing okay with your database, that your database is built in a way that you're not just crushing the server all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and those tools can help with that. I mean, there are fewer tools in the admin console as of FileMaker 17. Um, it makes tools like Zabbix. Um, and another one is the Nutshell console from uh, One More Thing. Mm-hmm. They They both provide that type of data. The nice thing with, with Zabbix that I really like is like Wim's talked about, you can gather data over time and store that and you can start to see patterns long-term more than just, you know, what happened in the last 15 minutes or the last hour or even the last day, like you can see what happened over months. You know, are there certain months out of the year where you start to have problems with the server? You know, what are the, what things are happening during that month that's different than the other months. You know, okay. It helps point out those things. So overall, we're going to wrap this up here um, and move on. But the the point of this, this topic today in our discussion is just to encourage listeners and me, I guess, as well, to to continue to learn, right? And to find those things in the platform that, are, that have worth – in attending to. We only have a limited amount of time. And, you know, with uh, Disney Plus just being released today, we even have less time because um, we got to watch, you know, we got to watch Apple Dumpling Gang, for goodness sake. Uh-huh. But um, so I'm glad we got to talk about it. I think my overall takeaway from this is that we should just always be looking at the platform and picking it apart to see what parts of it we're going to focus our attention on. If we're lucky enough to work with a team of people, maybe things get distributed and, you know, the server people pick up Zabbix and just really work with it. And the the developers pick up JSON and someone like me picks up JavaScript and, and works with it. Right. So, but the point is we, we could be learning and, because the, the platform is just, it's just going to get bigger. It's just adding stuff to it. Right. The, the only thing that we've noticed in the last couple of days that they've said is out of FileMaker in the next release is the runtimes. So there are no functions that are being take, taken out. Their ODBC isn't, JSON isn't, SQL isn't. So 
we could continue to spend time learning those. Yeah, I would just say learn what you know you're going to use and then learn just a little bit more. Okay. Good if you learn those extra things, you'll find ways to use it. Maybe not today, but maybe in a couple of weeks, you'll you'll have a problem that you need to solve. And the thing that you looked at that was a little bit outside of your wheelhouse uh, may help you. And then you learn a little more about it and a little more about it. And then before you know it, it's just part of your, your developer toolkit. All right. Very nice. So speaking of new stuff um, and learning more stuff, I, I'm looking at a list of, of you know, what's coming in FileMaker. And I'm just like, I don't know what core ML is. Am I going to need to start learning that? So let's, let's transition and start to talk about uh, just the last two days, Monday and Tuesday here. Um, they had, Claris had a product roadmap for November, 2019, and they introduced a lot of stuff. They talked about a lot of stuff. Some of it came from DevCon we saw there, but also there was some new stuff in here. I would just love to hear what you you had you thought about uh, this most recent webinar. One thing that that I wanted to talk about that really I heard it so much through the entire presentation, uh, starting with Serena right at the beginning. Um, Sangeeta also referenced it. It got talked about I mean, pretty much all throughout the webinar. Um, cloud first does not mean cloud only. And here's a quote from what uh, Sereni said right at the beginning, that cloud native and hybrid deployments, which is including in on-prem stuff, they treat them as equal citizens. They embrace both cloud and on-prem as equal citizens. That is part of what they mean when they say they are a cloud-first company. They're talking about the technologies they build in, not necessarily that everything that we access is going to be in the cloud. They feel as strongly about on-prem deployments as they do about the cloud. Mm-hmm. That is part of the strategy. It's not being separated from the strategy. Is, is that just the future of workflow apps that we, I mean, you and I are recording this podcast. We're not recording it on our machines. We're actually recording it in the cloud somewhere right now. Is this just the future? Is this what we, I mean, how many of our, workflows are up in the cloud already. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this a lot today and even going back to something that is um, as established and has been around as long as email has. Our email has been in the cloud for a long time. Uh (laughs) I'll just say it that way. But like I was thinking about my day and as I went through that my day, everything that I touch and everything that I deal with in some way connects me out to the cloud. From my TV, to my computer, to my iPad, to my phone. Heck, even some of my clocks. Um, Reach out to the internet to check the time to make sure it has the right time. I mean, everything that we do, like even some of our appliances will reach out to the cloud to update themselves, to provide us better features, um, or to get data from somewhere. Like all these things are always happening, and it's part of what we do. And to say that we don't like this idea of cloud first really goes against what we're actually doing in our day-to-day life for the most part. I mean, that's not true for every person, but for a lot of us, that's part of it. Even even in areas where like broadband or internet connection is a little bit limited, um, even a lot of that stuff still provides the idea of reaching out and getting data from somewhere else. And it's, it's an amazing thing. It's do, you think, thing. do you think for FileMaker, this is a long time coming? Yeah, I think this is the perfect time for it. I think the industry technology has hit a point where, one, it's necessary for FileMaker to not necessarily change directions completely, but make this shift where they this becomes a core focus on the technologies that run the platform. Mm-hmm. They have to have this ability to integrate with everything else because those days where you know FileMaker is an island are kind of slowing down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Todd said it in in one of the podcasts. We, we go from building something to using it. So instead of us building a calendar app, like I know you've referred to many times, we, we integrate one and we use it. We don't have to spend all that time figuring out all the little details, all the little pain points of using a calendar. We just 
integrate one and we use it. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a big part of the platform. That's a big part of what this idea of cloud first means. It's not necessarily everything is in the cloud, but we're using technologies that kind of formed the cloud. Those technologies can be used locally. Uh, and that's what cloud means. Like okay. those technologies are bred from what we've learned about cloud computing. So the, the webinar uh, consisted of uh, Sereni and Sangeeta, Rick and Robert. So overall, I mean, they talked about the cloud first strategy. And then uh, I think uh, Sangeeta got into uh, this Claris next gen. What do you think about, what do you think about all this that's, that's coming up here? Claris Connect and Claris Next Gen. It's going to be interesting. I mean, we obviously don't know a lot about what it is, um, but there definitely seems to be a push toward these integrated connected apps. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it'll actually be, I, I have no idea. I have thoughts in my head what it, what I think they're aiming for, but I, I, I don't know. It sounds interesting. Okay. And the fact that it's a separate product from FileMaker and a separate product from Claris Connect is really fascinating. So um, Robert spoke for a little bit and he got to uh, explain some of the features that are coming to the next version of FileMaker, um, or at least, sorry, is on the roadmap. Um, he mentioned web authoring and consumption. So um, that's interesting. It, it is a dynamic shift. I've only been working with FileMaker since FileMaker 9, but I'm so used to using it you know, the, the downloaded version on my computer. So it'll be a big change to be creating that in my browser, right? He talks about JavaScript support, um, templates, add-ons, JavaScript components. That sounds interesting to me, obviously, because it goes back to what we were saying. Pretty soon, people will be able to just drag and drop a calendar onto their layout and use it, right? And, and It takes that idea of not building and instead using to a whole different level. You don't even have to figure out all the integration part. You can just pull this add in into your file and bam, it's there. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Card support. That was a big feature for, uh, for the web, for web direct um, using cards. Are you excited about that one? Uh, It doesn't, we haven't really used web direct a lot. Um, So from, having used card windows on the desktop side, it's a huge thing because there's a lot of things you can do with, with cards that just make the experiment experience so much better. So that coming to the web web is just a really great thing. He talked about um, for mobile core ML, which I don't quite understand. I'm that's something I'm going to have to learn about. Right. I think whether I, I I suppose it's not something that I have to learn how to code. It's not a language that I have to learn. It's just, do you know much about CoreML at this point? Only a very little bit. Okay. Um, I think the successor to CoreML is Skynet, but hey, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. And then he mentioned that they're investing in a Android mobile client. That's that's pretty profound, isn't it? Yeah, I, I would say from a business standpoint, uh, I would say probably necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, because they have a huge market share and there there are more people with the Android phones than there are iPhones. So the reality is being able to provide a product for them and to be able to use our development skills and deploy it on Android will be a huge benefit. Uh, how it's going to work from a, you know an actual technical perspective, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, there are some security issues with Android that uh, we don't see exactly the same in iOS. Hmm. Um, there's a lot more screen sizes and and fracturing there but we'll see i mean it's one of those things you can't ignore it like it's a big part of the world's uh, market share and especially like as you get into europe and that i mean i think iphones are a little bit more of a rarity oh everybody has an android the um about 24 minutes in they they switched to talking about emerging technologies which i think this is one of the first times I've seen them like specifically say, here are things that we see in other, other, you know, platforms that we want to bring into ours that's emerging in the, in the world. And what strikes me is the chatbot integration, you know, right. seems like we could have a FileMaker app that has a chatbot. 
Does that strike you as an interesting thing? Could you see that being used in your business? Um, I'm just curious. I, yeah. I mean, honestly, we're actually in the process of looking at that stuff and we could kind of started building some of it. Then we also see there are platforms that, that offer the that type of service so we don't have to build it. Uh-huh. Having things built in the FileMaker, I'm just thinking as a developer, somebody has an issue, they click a button, it opens up a chat bot, opens up on your screen, and you chat, you can you know, possibly take screenshots of their screen or have them send you screenshots or chat with them and help them work through a problem. Um, getting that like real-time bug reporting is pretty huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we get that. The, the fact that I work in-house as a developer and we're so close to the users, having that immediate feedback when there's a problem, it really helps me understand where the problem is. And there could have been something that I was working on and I click save and all of a sudden users are having problems. I know exactly where the problem is. Mm. That helps. You know, I'm looking at this screen here and I I realized as I was looking at the different screens that while Robert talked about a couple things that are coming to FileMaker and, and there may be more, they're really hitting hard the high level, the very impactful, the very meaningful features or um, things that they're adding to the platform. You know, nowhere in here, unfortunately, for some people, nowhere in here do I see that they're going to add horizontal portals or they're not going to add a calendar, right? I think it's, it seems to me, and I like Claris, I like the people who work there, but they're, they're really thoughtful about, okay, <laughs> what should we really spend our time on versus what's already out there? Or, you know, what can we add to the platform by connecting to it with Claris Connect or, or other things? So, we may not like the fact that there's no horizontal portal objects listed here, but there's a lot of very impactful pieces to this. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I don't when I when people ask me about things like that and I respond on the forums, often they think that like I'm against it. And I'm really not. Like I the idea of a horizontal portal sounds interesting. There's some things that I can think of that I would use it for. Um, but at the same time, if JavaScript support is coming. And we're going to use it for something like a photo gallery or sliding photo gallery. We can do that in JavaScript very easily. And there's no need for the engineers to spend time building something that's already been built in the JavaScript world. Wait, did we switch bodies here? You're saying what I always say. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's, that's, that's true. And I assume the people at Claris are very thoughtful in that. They look at something very hard and say... Where can FileMaker developers already get this? And if it doesn't exist, then we can build it. Or, you know, there's no way. uh, JavaScript isn't going to allow me to connect to Siri. At least I don't think so. So they're actually building that into the platform, right? Right. Um, So, yeah. Um, What do you think about the the idea that um, they have basically, there's, there's some two neat, very neat things here in the releases and the life cycle. So they're, they're committing to more releases, more frequently releases, and they're, they're supporting each release for two years. Is that right? Yes. Okay. That I, I can only speak for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just fine. I mean, fine. we, we can't typically test and get things updated and move to the newest version in May, you know, when that comes out. So we're typically not going to move to the new version of, of FileMaker until probably the following January, just because of the cycle of our business. Hmm. Um, the, the last quarter of the year is the busiest time of year for us. And the last thing we need to do is go messing with the server uh, during that time period. We, we back right away from the server we, we just let it run everything's smooth we don't want it we don't want any hiccups but if um, this is truly cloud first then maybe those updates are going to be much more seamless maybe like other platforms that i have on my computer it just there's an alert in my upper right corner that says there are updates available i click on them and it does its thing and i can go back to what i was doing and if that's the way it works that'll be wonderful right i mean it, it seems to me that that's the way it's going to work. I have no knowledge, but 
that's the way that <laughs> all of the things that I have on my computer, except for FileMaker, were. I mean, Microsoft Outlook asked for an update today. So yeah, especially if it's a web authoring tool, right? It's just like we wake up one day and it's the new version. Um, I don't know. We'll see. The, the web offering that they've shown, at least so far, was pretty late. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that we're doing at our office that we're really reaching into the functionality in the OS itself. Okay. Um, I think you get a little bit of limitation there from the browser side of things. But again, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people doing a lot of really cool things. So I'm fully open to what's coming and I'm excited to see where we go. All right. Well, they mentioned also that the end of life of runtimes is certain. Um, the the coffin has been built and the final nails have been gathered and um, it's going to be gone in the next release. I like that they say that uh, it does not meet their quality and excellence standards. And, you know, I, I guess I have no judgment on that because I don't use runtimes, but they feel like it's it's not representative of them. So, yeah, you know, the further we get along in the OS life cycle, um, the harder it's going to be for that to really function properly. Um, and the last thing they want to do is put out software that just doesn't work. So, but, but they didn't leave us hanging, right? They're they're kind of vague, but they did say that they will have suggestions or options or or, or what do you recall from that? Yeah, and I'm sure they will. I I think for those listening, I don't think that means that they're going to necessarily come up with an alternative to runtimes. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't get my hopes up for that. But I've been wrong before, and I'm fully open to being wrong. Okay. Um, but at the same time, you know, maybe there is something that works out for them. I, we'll see. I, it's hard to know because they've just not really given any information out. Oh, uh, what else? Um, simplified licensing model. Um, so this is interesting about that one. Okay, because I heard a lot of questions about, it, and I, I would listen to this one specifically uh, again right before our call. When talking about the simplified licensing model, one of the things that Serini talked about was that they see the importance of having not just regular users, but shift workers and anonymous users. They are focusing on trying to get a licensing model that works for all of that. That's simpler than what we have now. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about what. What does simplified mean? Does it mean more money? Does it mean, I mean, I don't know exactly what it means. What I do know is it is in their mind, they, they understand the importance of handling those use cases that we have as developers and um, for our clients, making sure that they can uh, handle all the user base that they need to have. So that's, some, that's another thing to look for. You know, this, I think we've said it, Todd has said it, but it's, this is a very disruptive year for us. The, the last DevCon, which is the last DevCon, really shook us. And it's apparent here in November of 2019 that things are changing rapidly and they're changing at a higher rate than we have seen before. Yeah. And I, I'll give Brad credit. I mean, he, he jumped in both feet first and got things moving. So it'd be fascinating to see where we go. Yeah. And then finally, they talked about Claris Engage, uh, yep. U.S. Interesting that they, they put the U.S. there because it looks like they're going to expand even to more countries than what they have now, more in regions. Uh, 2020 in uh, Nashville. I'm excited to see what that is. I, I imagine it's going to be not your father's FileMaker DevCon, right? It's it's going to be different. We have Claris Connect to talk about next year. We have FileMaker, the next version with so many different, with the web authoring tool and Siri and JavaScript. So it's going to be quite different. Yeah, it sure is. It'll be, it'll be something new for sure. I'm excited to, uh, yeah, to hear more about that. So overall it was a, it was a good uh, roadmap. It really shows they're they're putting it out publicly that this is what they're doing. This is what we're they're putting into the platform, and the this is what their beliefs are on cloud and and all this stuff. So there's a lot coming, and and um, cool. All right, well, uh, I think that is good for today. Uh, appreciate your time. Uh, we've talked a lot about a lot uh, learning FileMaker, and there's just 
my head is spinning because there's just so much more to do. I, I may have to give up my annual pass to Disney World um, <laughs> so that I can stay home more and uh, and uh, learn and, and such. So, Or you'll have to see if Disney can sponsor you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. So uh, thanks for joining me today. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Context Podcast, sponsored by Geist Interactive. We hope you enjoyed it. We are grateful to the wonderful guests who give us their time to talk FileMaker, technologies outside of FileMaker, and the FileMaker community. You can find the Context Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast episodes. Please give us a rating and a review. Your thoughts make the podcast more visible, and we are always interested in what you have to say. Talk with you next week. I have never advertised myself as the smartest, the, the highest level JavaScript or a FileMaker developer, but I have learned JavaScript. Maybe I should cut that out. We'll see.